time I had the opportunity to preach for us was in the other building, and we got struck by lightning. And so if it happens twice, we're going to start asking questions, and I'm sure that the elders are going to have some words for me. But uh, anyway, tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel 27. And while you are turning there, So the title for tonight's sermon is When Suffering Long. Not when suffering is long, not when suffering for a long time, but just when suffering long. And we're going to add to that as we go throughout this evening. But when suffering long. So there's a phrase in the King James Version. It says, long suffering. And when I was a child thinking of long suffering, it sounded very painful for a long period of time. But really in the King James, when it says long suffering, it's referring to patience or not being being slow to anger not being quick to anger that's what long suffering in the king james means tonight's sermon has nothing to do with that instead the focus of this evening's message is about the process of going through suffering whether it be physical whether it be financial mental emotional maybe a job stress but you're in a situation And for a prolonged period of time, you've suffered. And tonight the text is going to address this. And I look forward to sharing with you this evening what the word of the Lord has for us. Before we begin, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that through trials, through tribulations, through struggles, through pain, God, that you are faithful and that you bring us through these things. God, that you give us strength and that none of, us, none of it is in vain. You are at work, Lord, even in our suffering. Lord, help us to see tonight your ways. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, um, if you were having the opportunity to speak to somebody who had a persistent illness and asking them, what are some words that might describe this persistent illness. Uh, You might hear words like unstable, always guessing, is it gonna be a good day? Is it going to be a bad day? Is something going to cause a flare up in whatever my disease is? There's just always this wondering, what's the next day going to bring? What is it going to be like? Um, Perhaps you or somebody you know is struggling with some sort of chronic persistent disease, perhaps even a degenerative disease disease. Maybe, maybe it's not a disease. Maybe just month to month, you're just financially struggling and it's hard and you don't know how you're going to make it. And then inflation hits and it gets worse. You're struggling and it's hard. There's a sense of never, ever being able to relax or being able to rest. There's this quest to find relief. Tonight in our passage in 1 Samuel, it's going to direct our thinking of handling our suffering in a God-glorifying way. So just as a brief recap, since chapter 19, verse 18, David has been on the run. Um, Verse 19, 18 reads, now David fled. And from that point till 26, 25, where we were at last time we were in 1 Samuel, David has been running from Saul. And he has been pursued by Saul's heavily armed men that want to assassinate him. He has witnessed the extermination of the priests of Nob. He's had multiple close call escapes out of caves and out of towns and out of fortresses in the wilderness. 
He's been disrespected by a fool whom he had protected. He's been given multiple opportunities to end Saul's life. And yet he hasn't. He has not had a permanent home nor a consistent bed to call his own. At the hand of Saul, he has suffered. Yet when given the opportunity to end Saul, David chooses exile and wandering. On top of this, he has his wives and he has 600 men and their families that he is responsible for. There's lots of pressure on him. There's lots of pressure mounting. And he's been running and hiding for years. He's having to listen to the groans of his people for years. And he has a choice to make. Would he continue to live in Israel, hiding from Saul, helping his countrymen, or would he give up? Would he continue on suffering, or would he flee? Tonight, the challenge for you and for me is when suffering long, persevere with faith. When suffering long, persevere with faith, church. Let's begin the text. Chapter 27, verse 1. Then David said to himself. Some of your translations say, Then David said to his heart. Let's stop right there. Let us analyze what just happened. Then David said to himself. Well, we all know who David is. We've been following David since he took down Goliath, since he's been playing heart for King Saul, since he's been on the run since 1918. We know David. We know who that is. So then David, so we got David, said to his heart. Who is David speaking to? He's speaking to himself. So David says to his heart, He's looking at his troubles, he's looking at his woes, he's looking at the difficulties he's facing. And he, he, he rightfully begins to assess the situation. But instead of taking his woes, difficulties, suffering to God, David says to himself. Now, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the story of David, you hear how he cried out unto the Lord and God answered him. But after years on the run, after multiple chances to take out Saul and not, and Saul still pursuing him, instead of going to the Lord with his concerns, his woes, David said to himself, he spoke to his heart. And what is he doing? He's preaching to his heart. You see, the problem is not that David was talking to himself. Now, I was a psychology major in college, and the joke was, you know, the problem's not speaking to yourself, it's answering yourself. (laughs) But the problem is not David speaking to himself. That's not the problem. The problem is the message that David is preaching to himself. And so, what is this message that David speaks? And this is what he says. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. When suffering long, remember God's provision. 
When suffering long, remember God's provision. David is preaching to himself. He's taking his despair to himself and not to God. And the message he's preaching to himself is, one day I will perish at the hand of Saul. Now, looking at this message, it's full of lies. And in his despair, he tells his heart lies. Because what is the truth? What have we seen consistently for the past 10 chapters of the book of 1 Samuel? If you do a survey of the past 10 chapters, you see at least 17 occurrences of the term hand. And there's several things going on, but there's two things to keep in mind. One, there are instances of someone or some group being delivered into the hand of someone. That happens. Two, David is never the one being delivered into the hand of someone else for the past 10 chapters. So you see, uh, example 23 verse 4, it says, the Philistines are given into David's hand. In 23, 16, you see that Jonathan comes and he strengthens David's hand. But here's my favorite. 23, 14 says this, Saul sought David every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David is preaching a sermon to himself. And this sermon he's preaching is, now one of these days I will perish at the hand of Saul. But this is just downright lies because the reality is this. God was not letting David fall into the hand of Saul. And he had proved it over and over again. It was a complete disregard for God's previous provision. It was a complete denial of reality. The hand of Saul would never reach David because the hand of God was with David. But instead of remembering that truth of God's miraculous provision, David was telling himself a fantasy a lie, a fabrication of reality. And in that fantasy that he was telling himself is a story about a child abandoned by God who had promised to keep him. But nothing could be further from the truth. But what about you? When you are suffering long, what are you telling yourself? Are you reminding yourself of God's goodness, of his provision, of his care? Do you reflect upon past events where God has miraculously delivered you from your enemies? Or are you just stuck in the moment of, this is suffering, this is hard, I can't get through this? What are you preaching to yourself? Do you look around and feel like there's no future, no hope, continuing as is? If this is you tonight, hear these words. When suffering long, remember God's provision. If you can't remember God's provision, because the suffering is hard, if you can't remember, reach out to a church member. Ask them to help you remember God's provision for you. We love you. And even through the suffering, 
God is still at work, but sometimes we just can't see it. So reach out. But let us continue on with this sermon that David is preaching to himself. He says this, There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul will then despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I'll escape from his hand. So first off, David has failed to remember God's provision. But in the second point of his sermon, David is not reciting the promises of God. David, the author of most of the Psalms, says things like, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. This same David, instead of reciting God's truth and God's promises right now to his heart, he's preaching a message of there is nothing good for me left in this land. When suffering long, recite God's promises. So David is preaching lies to his heart concerning God's past provision. He's telling lies to his heart about God's future provision and is driving him to despair. And now the path set before him is to find refuge in the shadow of the Philistines. David, who would write, you are my hiding place. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That David is not reciting that promise. He was thinking and acting like a man who had been suffering a long time. A man who had lots of responsibilities in stress. The same David who writes, the Lord is my shepherd, was thinking and acting like a forsaken and forgotten lamb. He was not reciting the promises of God. Instead, he was reasoning out with the wisdom of man what he should be doing. But what about you? When suffering long, do you recite to yourself the promises of God? In Deuteronomy 31, 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When you're suffering, do you remember this? Does this come to mind? Does this come out of your mouth? Or do you hear, I can't make it through this. This is unbearable. This is unfair. This isn't right. Why, God? What are you reciting? Whenever we discussed this text in the preaching committee, the topic of God's promises came up. And uh, Kevin directed our attention towards John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, 27 and 28, Jesus says this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them 
out of my hand. No one will snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor past, nor things to come, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No matter what suffering you are facing right now, those around you are facing, the promises of God are still true. And he promises that through the suffering, it still won't snatch you from his hand. Whether persistent illness or pain, financial hardships, emotional stress, a job where you continually feel beaten down. In those times, do you believe that no one will be able to pluck you from the hand of Jesus? Can you confidently say with the writer of Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Do you believe that? Can you confidently proclaim that and rejoice in that truth? Even when suffering. Perhaps you're like Jairus, who when asked by Jesus, do you believe? And Jairus said, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because when we struggle and when we're suffering, it's hard to remember It's hard to cling to those promises. Help my unbelief, Lord. And so David, carrying on the story, he takes his men and he crosses over the river. And he goes to, of all places on earth, Gath. Um, Just a brief reminder, there was this big guy named Goliath from Gath. David cut his head off. David carried around his sword. Um, David went to Gath one time trying to escape from Saul and had to pretend to be a madman to get out with his life. Now, David is moving to Gath permanently to get away from Saul so he can find stability, so that he can find rest, so that he can find peace, so that he can find shelter in the shadow of the Philistines. And so he goes to Gath with his men and his family. And he goes to Achish and Achish lets him live there. And David goes about and does the things that a mercenary would do because that's what David and his army is. They're mercenaries. What do mercenaries do to pay the rent? They mercenary. They pillage. They plunder. They raid. And so... David does a good job, and he says to Achish, you know, this city's kind of not my style, and I don't really want to be a burden to you. Um, Can you maybe give me an outlying city that I could live in? And if you're a strategic-thinking Philistine king, you're like, yes, I would love to have a band of 600 strong, brutal mercenaries living out in my border towns to protect my city. Yes, how about you take a city called Ziklag? And the commentary in here says that to this day, Ziklag is now owned by the kings of Judah since that day. And so David and his uh, band of mercenaries moved to Ziklag with their families, and there they live. But again, Achish expects to be paid. 
And so the price for David having a stable life safe from Saul is to raid, pillage, and plunder. And so David goes about and destroys villages in the proximity of, well, we say, so now David and his crew, they pillaged the Amalekites, the Gershites, and the Gerizites, and they completely destroyed him. We actually hear about the Geshurites in Joshua chapter 13, 13. And it says this, that yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Gershites. Geshurites. And so these were people that Joshua was fighting in his conquest of land. And so David is continuing, in a sense, the conquest of Canaan. Um, the Gersites, we don't really hear much about them beyond this one passage in the Bible, so we don't know much about who they were. But the Amalekites, since the days of Moses, Exodus chapter 18, 17, Moses and the people of Israel are attacked by the Amalekites in the wilderness. And from that day, even to David's day, they were still facing the Amalekites. In fact, in chapter 15, you may remember that Saul attacked the Amalekites and destroyed everybody except for the king, Agag. Um, and so Agag thought he was going to survive, but then Samuel comes and gets rid of Agag because he was a horrible enemy of God's people. Which we actually learn like generations later, there's a descendant of Agag named Haman who tries to exterminate the entire people of God in the book of Esther. So there's a lot of history between the Amalekites and the Israelites. But it says this, so that when David went in, he killed everyone, men and women. He left none alive because he didn't want anybody going back to Achish in Gath and telling him what he was doing. Because then Achish would turn on David. And so, as he went out and about, he would come back to Agag and he would pay his rent. And Agag would say, where have you been today, David? And David would say, against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jerumites and against the Negev of the Kenites. These were three sets of peoples that were either Israelites or allies of Israelites. And so Agag's thinking to himself, man, this guy is brutal. He is a mercenary. He is the best mercenary ever. He, will, he doesn't have any kind of allegiance to anyone. And so now he works for me. Wherein the truth is, David was wiping out the allies of Agag. So, David was successful in his goal of no longer being pursued by Saul. He was successful in the goal of finding that balance, that rest, that peace. Achish believed him, and he took the spoil greedily. But David was exiled from the land of Israel. He was acting like a forsaken lamb. He was lying, and he was destroying people to keep his self-one stability. Church, when suffering long, you must remember God's provision. When suffering long, you must recite God's promises. 
And when suffering long, you must refocus on God's purposes. What is God's purpose in suffering? Well, that's a big question. We're not going to be able to completely answer that one tonight. But here's a few thoughts. First of all, let's look at Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, that he was perfected through suffering. Now, Jesus, the perfect son of God, was perfect with God in his relationship. But his ministry to us, Jesus' ministry to you was perfected when he suffered and bled and died on your behalf. And if the ministry of Jesus, for the sake of your soul, was perfected through suffering, why would we expect any less of our ministry to the world Jesus sends us into? Suffering is not always about you. It feels about you, doesn't it? It hurts. But sometimes God has you go through suffering for the sake of perfecting your ministry to someone who needs to hear the gospel. So the purpose of suffering, this story about David helps us refocus our attention Oftentimes you might hear this statement, oh, if only I had the faith of Daniel. Mm. Oh, if only I was courageous like David. If only, if only I was strong like Moses. And you've completely lost the point. Instead of looking at those men to get through, we need to look to Christ Instead of saying, if only I had the faith of Daniel, we need to look to the object of Daniel's faith. And what was that? It was the promises of God that he was going to preserve his people and provide through whatever circumstances. Instead of saying, if only I had the courage of David, why don't we instead look to the one who emboldens a youth to stand in the face of a giant. It wasn't because of who David was. It was because of who David's God is. Instead of saying to ourselves, if only I had the persistence of Moses, look to the God who sustained Moses through all those trials. It's so easy for us to idolize or even fantasize about, wow, these are heroic people. And they did heroic things, that is true. But it's because of the God who empowered them to do these things. And so instead of looking to these men who are just the vessels of faithfulness, look to the one who empowers faithfulness. As Stephen taught us a few weeks ago, suffering, even suffering that is long, persistent, is often God's way of bringing discipline into the life of his children. And it's for the sake of refining them. In Hebrews 12, 11, it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's not always about you. Sometimes when suffering long, it refocuses on God's purpose. Sometimes it's not for you, but for those you will be able to help because of your suffering. As the book of Job teaches us, sometimes your suffering is to bring glory to God and salvation of many that you will never even know. And so David has impressed Achish with his ability to bring in spoils and has impressed Achish with his ability to turn on his own people. At least that's what Achish is thinking. In fact, it says in verse 12, so Achish believed David saying, he has surely made himself odious among his people. Therefore, he will become my slave forever. You know what happened to the last Philistine from Gath that said, you will be our slaves forever? That, that Philistine was actually talking to David. You know what happened to him? This is where the story gets a little bit funny. And so verse 28, now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. So now David the mercenary is gonna have to fight with the Philistines against the people of God. And Achish says, okay, the rent is due, get ready. And so David says this, David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Now, if that phrase seems very ambiguous to you, it should, because David was being very ambiguous with this answer. And the reality is, maybe David didn't know exactly what he was going to do in this situation that he was about to find himself in. But remember, he left the land of Israel because he was seeking stability, seeking peace, seeking rest, seeking freedom from suffering. And to keep that freedom, he had to live a very brutal life and he had to lie. And now he has the dilemma of stability. What's he going to do? Well, Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. And sometimes in the translations, we, we lose some of the joke in the text because what Achish just says to David literally is, David, because he's really impressed by David. He says, David, I'm gonna make you the keeper of my head. Going back to the last Philistine from Gath that said, you will be our servants forever. What happened to his head? And so David has a dilemma. And two months from now, we'll hear how David resolves that dilemma. Or actually, better said, how God resolves that dilemma for David. But I want us to look just briefly one more time at verse 7. Because this really jumped out at me at the very end. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. David had suffered several years running from Saul. Several and it's completely understandable that he wanted to get out from underneath the suffering. It's completely understandable that he tried to figure out a way to make the suffering stop. But 
if he had just persevered one more year and four months, living in caves, hiding in the wilderness, fleeing from Saul, trusting God's hand to sustain him. What would, what would the story been then? Because he was only in the land of the Philistines for a year and four months. And oftentimes, our suffering seems like it lasts forever. And my heart goes out to many of you that I know have persistent illness that weeks, months, even years, maybe even decades, you've struggled, you've hurt. But the call of scripture is this, when suffering long, persevere with faith. See, in this life, it's not a question of, will you face suffering? The question is, how will you respond in your suffering? Will you remember the provision of God? Will you remember and recite the promises of God? Will you refocus on the purposes of God? And so I can't leave you tonight without a few steps. So how about this? Tonight, over dinner, at home, with friends, write out ways that God has worked in your life. Start with, Jesus has saved me from eternity in hell. Start there. But God has done more than that for you. Tonight, pick a promise of God in scripture and memorize it. And maybe even ask others to join with you in this and to hold you accountable to this. Tonight, confess your fears, doubts, moments of unbelief in God's goodness. Repent and commit to faith. Tonight, reach out to your church. We love you and we want to encourage your heart with reminders of God's provision and the truth of God's promises. Church, when suffering long, persevere with faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that through your word you have given us examples to look to, to be inspired by, to be, to be convicted by. Um, God, we pray that by your grace, through your empowering, we would persevere through whatever trials and suffering um, come along our path. Uh, give us faith, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.